I think we have to navigate new ideas to reach new people. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy might. And then it goes on to say, I want you to talk about this when you wake up. I want you to talk about it with your kids when you go to sleep. I want you to talk about it when you're on your way to the store. I want you to talk about it at every point of every day. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. When it comes to loving others, we sometimes have to stretch ourselves to honor the commands that Jesus has about love. How can I love someone who is so different from me, we might ask ourselves. How can I love someone who I don't understand and who doesn't understand me? In our daily lives, it's natural for us to make bonds with people who are like us, have our same values, believe like we do. It can be tempting to live in that bubble and think that we are practicing love. But Jesus calls us to do more. He asks that all we do be done in love. If we can just remember that before each conversation we have, before each decision we make in regards to others, as we measure the words and actions that we speak and do each day, we'll find that a life lived in love will bring healing, reconciliation, and benefits to our lives we could never have imagined. Our guests this week are deliberate about taking a posture of love toward what they do in the world. Torin Wells is a musician, songwriter, and speaker who encourages us all to recognize God's love in all that we do and say. And pastor and writers John Siebling and Wayne Francis have purposefully made unconditional love a part of how they welcome all kinds of people into their churches. And now they're building off of that to bring people together to have conversations about love, acceptance, and race. Let's get started with Torin Wells' story. Hey, what's up? This is Torin Wells, and I am from Houston, Texas, where my beautiful wife of 10 years reside with our four little boys, Kanan, Lawson, Navy, and Banner. They are eight, five, three, and four months. So we are very busy. I am a touring musician, songwriter, and speaker. So I grew up in the great state of Michigan, holler at you boy, pure Michigan, in a city called Battle Creek. I love all music. Obviously, I loved the stars of my childhood, you know, Michael Jackson and Prince and people like that. But as we started going to church, I started listening to more and more gospel music and leading gospel music, that's what my church did. So we sang songs, uh, you know, by Donald Lawrence and Fred Hammond, Israel Houghton, things like that. And so there was like a funk element and a jazz element to, you know, Roots Gospel. And then, of course, those same roots exist in pop and R&B music. I was about nine years old. And the first thing that I wanted to do was be in the choir. I just thought the choir was so amazing. And they let me into the choir as a kid. It was the adult choir, but they let me sing. And I was so excited to be there. I was singing loud. I was singing high. I was singing full power. One day, the choir director actually stopped the rehearsal and said, Torn, I don't think you understand the point of a choir. You're supposed to sing your part and blend in with everyone else. This is not a solo. So chill. So 
I kind of had like this idea that I enjoyed singing, but you know, Michael Jackson and NSYNC and all of that happened on another planet for me, you know, like that wasn't real life or possible in any way. But I started writing songs and then I started leading worship in high school, uh, which was cool because I got to bring my friends. I went to public school, got to bring them to church and lead them in worship, started speaking when I was 16 and just loved ministry, not necessarily the platform or the microphone, but setting up the chairs and being a part of dreaming about what events could look like, doing stage design, you know, seeing my friends like step into relationship with Jesus. That was really exciting to me. And that led me to Bible college where I went to Indiana Bible college and studied theology and music. I started a band there. We ended up touring. I met my wife there. We got married some years after we went to school together. But yeah, that's kind of the journey of how I got to where I'm at now. I love dancing. I love performing. I love having fun. And I don't think the presence of God is a fun, free zone. Like, yeah, we know that the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength, but you can only be serious about God and being in God's presence. If in his presence is fullness of joy, why can't we do things that demonstrate joyfulness, like smiling, laughing, dancing, celebrating? And so that's a part of what I do. And uh, it's really important to me because now that as I have my own sons, I want to create experiences that they enjoy, that capture them emotionally and even entertainment wise, I think entertainment can be used to bring people into a certain mindset in which they experience the glorious, holy presence of God. So that's why, you know, I do the music that I do. I love leading worship. I do it half of the year in my local church. I love the word of God. I preach it on a regular basis. I try to live it even more than I preach it. And it's just an important thing for those things to coexist. I want to be able to have a mosh pit and have a prayer service. You know, I don't think that those things are mutually exclusive, that they can coexist together. So I'm trying to create a soundtrack for that. I am so excited about what God is doing in the world through the creative arts, through visual arts, through movies, books, podcasts. It's absolutely unbelievable. And I'm just thankful to be a part of it, honestly. Church has progressed and thank God it has. That's where I developed a love for church, for music and for God. If we're really trying to make our churches diverse and multicultural, it's not just having people in the room that look like the culture we want. It's creating the pieces of fabric that make up those cultures and weaving them into the faith community that we're building. So it's something that I'm pretty passionate about and is on my heart. And I think as I am raising my young men, they love worship music 
but they love hip hop. So why create space between a Sunday morning experience that includes no semblance of hip hop when that is the number one genre in the world? And I think we wrestle with that. You know, rock and roll has been the number one genre in the world for a long time. It's not anymore. It's hip hop. So our musical leaning in worship music has followed kind of a rock feel that's changed. So I think the music has to change and the platform and opportunity that we give it has to change as well. I want people to be able to engage with the voice of God every day. We need his voice. We need his voice. We need to be able to hear him when he speaks, when he corrects, when he encourages, when he leads. We have to be able to listen. I ordered three Jesus Calling books because I'm about to go on tour and I want them on all of our buses. And obviously you can't top the Bible, okay? It is the chief authority, but there is something so significant about the intimacy that is created in the pages of the book, Jesus Calling. So it's very important. And You know, I'm doubling down on my efforts to create that space, which is why I wanted a physical copy in the spaces we're going to be inhabiting because it's so good. Like it's so rich. It's the things that you need to hear from God somehow right when you need to hear them. And it's uh, it's one of those books that has withstood the test of time. And I think there's something to be said about the merit and the value of books that last from decade to decade. My life has been greatly refined, like my heart has been refined through what I have the privilege of doing. I think you can go two ways, with platform, with success, with notoriety, in in any space. It's not just public success. You know, there are people who you know, make a lot more money and have a lot more influence, but don't have as much light. I think the options are the same. You either lean into the process and let God use it to refine you, or you lean into the success. You drink your own Kool-Aid, so to speak, and you die from the inside out. I think what God graced me to understand early on was that I am not capable of carrying success. I don't think anyone in history ever has been except for Jesus. But that's because his measure for success was completely different than our metric for success. And I learned early on that you have to define what success is for yourself or someone else will. And if you allow someone else to tell you what success looks like, you can spend your life winning and get to the end only to realize you lost because you have to win in multiple categories. So my musical journey, God has used the songs that I've been privileged to carry to show me the greatest area of need that I have for him.
a song like Known was what God used to lead me into understanding that I'm not just loved based on what I can do. I'm not loved based on good interviews, good press, good songs, good ticket sales, good singles, good grades, good promotions, good looks. You can fill in the blank with whatever your narrative has told you about yourself, but he allowed me to see he really just loves me. Before I could ever do anything for him, quote unquote, before I could go out there and, you know, do what I do or whatever, however you want to frame it, he loved me. And that is something, if you really wrap your heart and your mind around it, it's an amazing truth that God just loves us, not because of who we are, but who he is. It's a transformative truth. And I sing it every night. I've sing it thousands of times. I have to remind myself over and over, and it's reminding me over and over there's been moments where I've been out on stage, like, oh, I just hit a vibe. These people are going crazy. This is amazing. They're so excited. They can't wait. And then I hear that, fully known. Like, to be well known isn't the greatest objective in life. To have the crowd screaming your names or the people following you or the right people knowing who you are for the right moves so that you can move forward. It's not the highest level of success. Being known well is of much greater value. So that's something I've learned, and honestly, I think it's given me this perspective of humility. I'm not saying that I'm great at it, but it gives me a perspective for it that other people see the highlight reel, God sees behind the scenes. So why pretend? Why try to create things that just aren't true? It, it served me. To learn more about Torin, please visit torinwells.com and be sure to check out his albums wherever you get your music. Stay tuned to John Siebling and Wayne Francis' story after a brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. 
Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Many of us want to develop a deeper prayer life. In this new 365-day devotional, Jesus Listens, Sarah Young offers daily prayers based on Scripture that will help you experience how intentional prayer can connect you to God and change your heart. Learn more about Jesus Listens and download a free sample at jesuscalling.com slash jesuslistens. Our next guests are John Siebling and Wayne Francis, pastors at Life Church and authors of God and Race, a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles. As pastors of racially diverse churches with campuses in Memphis and New York, John and Wayne collaborate consistently on how to stay vulnerable and have open conversations on race. They are here to share hard-won lessons and God's vision for a diverse church. I'm John Siebling. I am the senior pastor of The Life Church in Memphis, Tennessee, a church that uh, my wife and I started just over 25 years ago. I'm Wayne Francis, and I am a born and raised New Yorker, and my wife and I started a church 11 years ago called Authentic Church in the metropolitan area of New York, just a little bit north of Manhattan in Westchester County. And recently, about a year and a half ago, our church merged with the Life Church, which obviously is based here in Memphis, and we became the New York location of the Life Church. I grew up in the South, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and was a missionary for three years in Nairobi, Kenya. And then we launched our church in 1996. And so now we have uh, locations throughout the Memphis region and uh, also around uh, a few locations around the country and around the world. So uh, we are thankful for God's faithfulness in our journey. As a child, I always dreamed of entertaining people. <laughs> so in some ways, I guess there's a little bit of that aspect of being a public speaker. At 100%. Times. And so I'm not totally fulfilling my calling. I thought that would be sort of like an actor or something, but I always felt like I wanted to engage people and to speak and to have a opportunity to create joy and laughter and happiness in others. And it just seemed like the arts or public communication would be involved in that to some capacity. And wait, so, <laughs> wait, can we also let everybody know what your middle name is? Please. Oh, think about this. I was destined to be an entertainer. So my middle name, <laughs> you are so funny, is Wayne Newton Francis. Let's go. Yes. I am the first black guy named after that wonderful Las Vegas entertainer. <laughs> I was destined to get in entertainment. My mom was in love with Wayne Newton, and I'm named after him. So, Don Cachet, and um, <laughs> I'm doing jazz hands right now. We started our church in Memphis uh, with the commitment to be diverse. It was in our vision statement that we were a diverse church. However, when you <laughs> came to our church in those first few years, we were pretty much all white. And it was just, it was kind of funny because I guess it was a true vision statement. It was a true picture of where we were going. We weren't there yet, but we started the church with that in mind. And that was really in our, in our heart. It was the soul of our church. So ultimately we became diverse and 
you know, in a matter of years, we, we looked like Memphis. That was always our goal. And we always encourage pastors and leaders who feel a, a calling to build a diverse church. What you need to do is build a church that reflects your community, because right. that's when you have the best chance to engage your whole community as a church. Otherwise, you kind of become a subculture of your church. So, yeah, we started with that as a goal. It took a couple of years, but that's the picture of our church today. I had started a church with about seven young white people. So most of the people at my church, and for a long, long time, our church was predominantly white. When people of color came to church, people just assumed that they were like my cousin or my my <laughs> uncle or something like that. So we intentionally started our church in New York with diversity in mind. That was a non-negotiable. And it was one of the things that motivated me to recruit a team that reflected the place that I was going to. And so when we first met, I had heard about what was happening in the Mid-South through his church as a white pastor and Pastor Leslie, both of them leading a church in, you know, the hotbed of racial strife in America, and it was diverse. And I thought that was very fascinating, particularly in Memphis. You know, I'm like, whoa, I need to meet this couple. And so when we started connecting and I was coming down, I told him, and I thought, maybe you thought it was like a cliche, but I used to say to him, this is my favorite place to preach outside of my church. Like, And I, I had been an itinerant speaker for many years preaching places, but I think it was that chemistry, that DNA of diversity and watching that happen in a very unusual way and very unusual context, me being in New York, a metropolitan place where there is a lot of diversity. But when it came to the church space, there was a lot of homogenous churches. It was powerful for us to have those conversations about the challenges. It wasn't easy. Challenges in leading diverse churches. Wayne and I met at a conference, the Association of Related Churches, ARC, puts on an annual conference. We're both part of the ARC. I helped start the ARC 20-something years ago. And so I guess Wayne did a a session and I saw him after. We just had a bond. We had an instant connection. I don't think that is a problem for either one of us, (laughs) building relationships. I think it goes with our personalities and goes with the territory of what we're called to do. I think, you know, I like to say that sometimes God brings people into your life that you have a divine flow with. And there's just a some kind of natural and supernatural, I guess, connection, you know. So I think that was the case with Wayne and both of us recognized that there was something to this that was maybe greater for our purposes and for the kingdom. So, you know, our partnership was started really from just a relationship and then it flowed out into the church. We had a lot of quantity time too. We were walking around New York City We're in Manhattan, um, and again, our relationship started off so collaborative and remains collaborative, but we were parsing ideas about, okay, what are we doing this fall? And I said, man, I have this idea for a series, and we were talking about race issues and whatnot. I said, I'd love to do a series called Black Fist, White Knuckles, and it would be about, you know, having open-handed conversations, open-hearted conversations about race. And, And that was born in Manhattan and became something that was the outflow of our mutual passion to speak about diversity from a place of being practitioners. We're not experts, but we had experience. Pastor John with 23 years at that time of experience or however long that was. Uh, for me, it was you know leading my, my church for 11 years. We've been talking about diversity from day one. I think we've gotten better at it. 
and we've learned to do it in a clearer way so that by the time we started, you know, talking about Black Fist, White Knuckles, February 2020 was, I think we went further in the conversation and we could go further because it wasn't just a white man talking about diversity or a black man talking about diversity. We were together talking about it to each other. So I feel like we could go further with it. And, you know, Wayne is a lot of fun and he is able to, we kind of talked about some ground rules to our ability to have these conversations. And one of those ground rules is laugh, <laughs> that we got to be able to laugh. Now, it's it, it, it comes easier to some people than others. <laughs> and one of the things I appreciated about Wayne was even though there's been a lot of intensity around the subject, he was still able to find humor in certain things. and. And it, so it really, I mean, it, it really helps. That, that's just one of the, the ground rules. You know, we have, to, we have to listen. That's another one. Listen to each other. We have to look into what the other person is saying. Right. Uh, we need to learn. And then we need to laugh. I think Wayne and I both believe that the key to moving forward beyond some of the racial tension that we've seen is just super open-handed, open-hearted conversations and when you have an open heart and you have an open hand, you sit down with somebody that's different than you and you get the opportunity to see and hear their heart and their perspective, you grow and, yeah. you, and you learn. Yeah, we get very practical to give people a rubric of sorts, of practical ways to implement this into their day-to-day lives, whether they are church leaders or just Christians in general. And so it's very practical in its nature, but it does expose a lot of vulnerability that is required for people to, and mutual respect, dignity, honor, integrity in the conversation so that um, I think we both like to say, we're trying to model the conversation in a great way, not just giving you sound bites and right. you know tweetables. And we wanna be people that somehow empower you to walk into a conversation, regardless of where you land on the spectrum of your ability to communicate with people on diverse issues, feeling equipped to do that in a way that makes you uh, successful, hopefully, in starting conversations and sustaining them. I think that one of the things that we've talked about is this idea of the perfection problem, that sometimes Mm -hmm. we think we have to say things perfectly, or we're going to get canceled, or since we want to be perfect, then sometimes we don't say anything at all. Right. Yep. So I think, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do in the book is give people permission to have safe conversations with people of, you know, a different skin hue than you mm-hmm. and to give each other grace to be able to say things that maybe may come across offensive, but we don't mean to offend by them. Just simple questions. And by the way, we don't think this is, you know, this is the only racial problem that right. we're facing in the country or in the world. There's other racial challenges besides just the white-black challenge, but that's the one we're addressing. But the point is that sometimes you have questions, and so that you got to be vulnerable. you got to be willing to be transparent and say, I don't understand this. Can you explain this to me? Or how should I say this? Or I've had you know African-American friends, black friends who have said, we need to hear more from you. Mm-hmm. And so my question then is, what what do you need to hear from me? You know, what, what does that mean? Help me so I know how to communicate better. And I just think it's that, that kind of vulnerability and transparency that's going to help us grow. In the book, I talk a little bit about the text that I sent to Pastor John during the, um, 
the Ahmad Arbery case and everything that was going down after he was brutally killed. And I didn't need an answer per se. I just needed to have a conversation actually. And some of the stuff that we talk about is just being able to model a way of communicating where I can express myself, express where I'm feeling confused, express where I'm feeling angry, and it's a safe space. So we talk about how to cultivate that safety, even though we don't always have the right answers or how to approach something the wrong way. There has to be a culture in which people can have conversations. And we really push on this culture being that there's a reciprocal nature to it. We're not just trying to empower white people to have these conversations. We're empowering black people, people of color, how to have these conversations in a way that's life-giving and it blends us, moves us closer together toward the vision that we see in scripture, which is one nation, one people, one tribe. Anger is a very human emotion that we're doing a lot of soul work in our church and talking about those things. It's okay to be angry. The condition of the soul is always at the tip of the tongue. And we have to keep the condition of the soul right so that even when we're angry, we can communicate in ways that don't blow everything up. We don't want to blow everybody up all the time. It's like, um, I think that there's a, a way for us to, and we even get into how to do that on social media yep. um, because that has been a place where, Lord have mercy, have we started some flames on social media? Let's get practical. We're going to get upset. We're going to get hurt. We're going to say some things that, you know, are going to make you feel some type of way, but canceling people is not the way that we move the conversation forward. I think it's in our DNA as Christians to be connected to the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is diverse. Right. Revelation talks about, this is a verse we quote often, Revelation 7, verse 9, that gives us the picture of heaven, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every ethnicity. So we're all going to that place. And so, I mean, earth is a place, I think, to practice what heaven's going to be like. And, yeah. and on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, Acts chapter two, it was um, literally, the Bible says there was, you know, people from every nation under heaven that were there in Jerusalem when the church was born. And so I just think that the idea of diversity and that diversity piece is in our DNA as right. believers. So there's a longing for it, even though we're more comfortable maybe with people who look like us and in a homogeneous setting. I think the idea of spending time with God every day, just for a few moments, and then not just a kind of one-time moment that you check off your list, but right. I think uh, I heard Joyce Meyer say, pray your way through your day. Yeah. And I love that where you're, you know, obviously the Bible says pray without ceasing. That means somehow even in the midst of work and, and working out and cooking and doing all that we're doing, we are communing with God. And obviously we're very familiar with Jesus calling. What we'll just a, talk about it today. What an impact that it's had on so many people. In fact, I was just, Wayne referenced it. We're just having a conversation with a friend. It's his favorite Devo every day. He reads it. So... I'm reading from Jesus Calling, February 27. Regal Jesus, you are my best friend as well as my king. I want to walk hand in hand with you through my life. Please help me face whatever today brings, pleasures, hardships, adventures, disappointments, relying on you each step of the way. I know that nothing is wasted when it's shared with you. You can bring a crown of beauty out of the ashes of lost dreams. You can glean joy out of sorrow, peace out of adversity, 
Only a friend who is also the King of Kings could accomplish this marvelous metamorphosis. There is no other like you, Lord. The friendship you offer me is practical and down to earth, yet it is saturated with heavenly glory. Living in your presence involves living in two realms simultaneously, the visible world and unseen eternal reality. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the ability to stay conscious of you while walking along dusty, earthbound paths. As your word declares, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And the beautiful thing about Jesus Calling is during this season, you need resources to kind of help you when you can't right. uh, you know, conjure up your own words. It's something, uh, something that's going to be more strategic in helping you to have those devotional moments with God in a beautiful and poignant way. We like to say it this way, that um, diversity isn't reserved for heaven. It's a requirement on earth. Right. And that's what we're trying to motivate leaders and lay people to create context for that to happen within the local church. We love to emphasize that it is all of our responsibility to have an open-handed conversation about race. It's not one directional. It's not, yeah, white people need to get this fixed. Then it's not, you know, black people need to make sure that we're the ones that hold on to some of the injustice that we're still experiencing and not get involved in the conversation in that direction. We actually believe that lead pastors need to lead churches that reflect the complexion of their community. And if your community is diverse, your church should be. We're trying to model the way to have a conversation about difficult things and that it's worth the conversation. It's worth it. And there's a way to do it. So I think that's the, for us, the bottom line is the modeling piece. We want to show, not that we're perfect, but we want to show that in our relationship, we've been able to have these conversations and it's powerful. You can find John and Wayne's latest book, God and Race, a guide for moving beyond black fists and white knuckles, wherever books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about love and acceptance, check out our interview with Cynthia Garrett. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we hear from country singer Chris Jansen, along with his wife, Kelly Jansen. Chris describes where he's seen God show up in his life, even in some unlikely places. Can you see God? I, I can't really see Him tangibly, right? But I can see Him in everything that has happened to me. I see Him in everything that's happened to me. I mean, I grew up in a trailer. This is my living room. I mean, I grew up in a trailer. So I see God around me. I saw God when our children were born. I saw God when we got married. I saw God when I was sleeping in the back of a car. I mean, I've seen him in so many things. I see him on hunts that I take with my kids, fishing trips, whatever. I see him all around me and it's such a powerful thing that that's where it comes from. I mean, how could you deny it? Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.